Today is a very special day for all of you dads. We want to wish you a wonderful and a very, very, just a blessed Father's Day. For all the men of our church, when we celebrate Mother's Day, we celebrate for all the ladies. For all the men of our church, I I want you to know how critical you are to this, this body of believers. Each of you, in your own way, have such an amazing impact upon what God is doing in through our church. And you might think, well, I'm not doing much. I don't have a big impact. That's okay. I do not want a, a one of you to, to feel like you have to do something before you feel the Lord God has moved you to do that. I can tell you that with all sincerity because uh, I remember when I came to Christ as a younger guy, um, it was a decision that I made. I wasn't in a big church. I wasn't in a little church. I wasn't in a church. I was in my own room in my own place in Hawaii, and I, uh, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I rolled over and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. I did that completely on my own. And it was a decision that I knew that I made. As a matter of fact, the moment I made it, I became scared to death. I, I remember saying to myself, now you did it. What did you do? What did that mean, what I just said? Because in most things, when I did something, I tried to do it with all of my heart. And there was a good moment for me in my life, gentlemen, because it was a decision that I made on my own, and it has carried me through some very rocky and very difficult times from time to time, knowing that it was my decision. It was a decision that I made to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might. And I want to say that to you, gentlemen. Uh, being a part of this church, I don't want you to feel. I want you to feel so comfortable. I don't want you to feel a pressure that you've got to do something. There are plenty of people here that help, and I want each of us to do all of it in, in our own way, in our own part, to be a part of this church. But what I want for the men that come to this church is to have a place that they feel comfortable. Comfortable studying the Word of God? I, I, I am amazed to see so many of you now carrying your own Bibles. Some of you guys came here before just kicking and scratching. And now you're carrying your own Bibles and we're studying the Bible together. And we're growing together in the Lord. And so gentlemen, thank you for what you mean to this church. Even though maybe you haven't done anything yet, God's going to have you do something great somewhere down the road. And by great, I don't mean something large. I mean something that God's going to do that's going to be unique to you and to this church and to the cause of Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to ask, ladies, if you don't mind, if all the women would please stand up with me for a moment. All the ladies, please, would you stand just a moment? And I would like for us collectively to thank the dad, the men of our church. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you, ladies. Guys, with all my heart, I want you to feel that church is you and you are a part of what it is. That it is something that that you can grasp as a man to understand what is it that God wants to do in and through your life. One of the greatest privileges that he has given you as a a man is to be a father. Um, to, to, To be a part of your family in such a way. So, um, 
I want to say, guys, God bless you. God bless you. Now, where we've come in Scripture is perhaps one of the most unique places I've been in a long time. And by that I want to say it's, it's, a, it's a place in Scripture. We're in Romans, the last chapter, the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. It's a very unique chapter because there are many commentators who just blow by this chapter. The reason being, there's no more doctrine in chapter 16. And chapter 16 is just filled with a group of people who are very little known. I entitled this message, Ordinary People, The Love of Ordinary People. Is that what I did? Love for the ordinary person. It, it is, this message, while I was doing it this week, moved me to such a, a major degree in, in, in thinking about this church, and thinking about the people of this church. As I mentioned last night, there were people that come to church on Saturday night. They come here on Saturday so that they can serve us on Sunday morning. That's not to put pressure on you at all. It's just to say there are so many people here that have caught a passion of wanting to serve the Lord. Just ordinary people that want to do extraordinary things through the Lord. As I say to you, by now, Paul has set the tone for Romans. By now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you realize and you recognize fully that Paul says faith, faith in Jesus Christ comes by faith in Him and Him alone. That you, you cannot bring anything into the picture to make God love you more. He, he, you cannot earn your way. You can't do enough goodies, so to speak, to make God love you. He loves you just as you are through your faith in His Son and in His Son alone. And He has driven that point home for the first 10, 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And then He stopped. Paul stopped fairly abruptly and he said, now that you have come to Christ by faith, if in fact you have, now, he says in chapter 12, I want you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed, he says, to this world. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind to that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so what Paul does is he says, you've come to Christ, now serve Christ Present to Him your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And nobody should tell you how much that is or how much that means or what does that mean you should do. It, it really should be your choice. And that's why I say make the decision for Christ on your own. Trust in Him so that you want to serve Him and you know it's Him that you're serving. And so Paul has got us to this place, and now he moves into a very section of Scripture, just one chapter, talking about, oh, by my account, about 35 people in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. And we're going to take a look at three of them today that have impacted yours and my life and impacted Paul's life greatly. We're going to get, by the grace of God, through reading through chapter 16, an insight about Paul, an insight about the folks in Corinth and in Rome. Interestingly, despite the great popularity of this book, Romans, 
the 16th chapter is often neglected. It's, it's, it's because it's not centered on doctrine. It's centered on people and people that you and I barely know. But at the same time, these dear people, Paul takes the time to speak so fondly of. They are what I would call ordinary Christians. Those who were as much brothers and sisters in Christ with Paul as Peter or as James or as John or any of the other New Testament notables. And people, I get this fondness that Paul has. It, it, it grasped me Friday this week like, like I can't even begin to tell you. I mean, I was sitting at my computer and I was putting things together and it was all of a sudden, John, you're talking about the Rock Community Church. You're talking about the people who serve Christ here. And I was compelled to write notes to them. I was compelled to, to tell them thank you. You see, I get what Paul is saying here in chapter 16. Because I watched those of you who serve so faithfully our Lord and without fanfare. No big hoopla. In fact, it's really interesting. One of the gentlemen I made mention of that did something, he came up to me afterwards, the service, first service. I mean, true as could be, just as exactly what I expected. He says, you know, he said, you didn't have to mention me. He said, I, I don't do that much. And that's it. That, that's, that's the ordinary people that God uses. The last chapter of Romans is very important because it includes a personal greeting from Paul to the Christian community in Corinth, where he more than likely wrote this letter, the book of Romans, and the people in Rome. And what we're going to see is that Paul is going to use a, a very amazing woman to take the, the message of Romans, the letter that he wrote to Rome, and she's going to take it from Corinth to Rome. And Paul has a great love and affection for the brethren found in this chapter. It's a little wonder if you read ahead a little bit, look at the 16th chapter, but look at verse 19 for just a moment. It says in verse 19, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. It's no wonder that the people in the community in Corinth and in Rome had a great love for these people. Paul says, your obedience has reached into the, into the stretches of the community. Therefore, he says, I rejoice over you. And two of the first three people that he mentioned are women, gentlemen. First two out of the three are women. He speaks of a woman named Phoebe, another woman by the name of Prisca, and then he mentions, along with Prisca, her husband, Aquila. Read with me, please, verses 1 through 5. And watch with awe of these wonderful people. Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Caesarea. Caesarea is a neighboring port city of uh, Corinth, just to let you know. Verse 2. So that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. And that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many 
and of myself as well. Then he says, verse 3, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Therefore, he says in verse 5, Greet the church that is in their house. There is so much here to chew on, folks. So much. Concerning these three people, Phoebe, Prisca or Priscilla, and Aquila, their impact upon the New Testament church and Paul is monumental. They are folks, ordinary folks, who carved out a critical path for Paul and for us. They're, they're not pastors. They're not missionaries. They're not evangelists. They're ordinary folks who are going to do extraordinary things, much like you, much like me, in this church which God has given us. So let's pray. Let's take a look at these. Father, I pray that you would do us a great honor. And that would be, Father, that you would open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your word. Father, would you please move me aside so that I do not interfere with anything that you would love to say to each of us. In any fashion, Father, whether you want to convict us or comfort us or, or move us in any direction, Father, may we be May we be available to listen at least, Father. And so I pray your blessings. Thank you for the fathers of this church, those wonderful men, Lord, that really impact their families, their workplaces, and this, their church. Bless us all, Father, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. All right, let's take a look at Phoebe. You've got to see her. Phoebe is incredible. More than likely, Phoebe was a Gentile businesswoman, a successful businesswoman. Very unusual in that day. She was wealthy, it appears. We are pretty certain that it was Phoebe who delivered the letter, the book that, the letter that Paul wrote, Romans. She took that. Paul entrusted her with that letter. They didn't have copies. She had the only copy. He entrusted her with that copy to go from Corinth to Rome, to take that copy to the church in Rome. It was a responsibility of considerable magnitude. Paul must have realized that this letter was more than ordinary. It was something beyond special. Therefore, knowing the truths that he has imparted to Phoebe, he had to entrust her to, to the most reliable of people to deliver what he was asking her to deliver to Rome. He calls her, in verse 1, a servant of the church. The word for servant is D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S in the Greek. It is the same word that you and I use today for deacons or deaconesses. Now, at our church, I don't know that we've given those titles out as yet, and I'm not sure that we are going to because we have basically a deacon or a deaconess is someone who serves the church. And we have so many people that are doing that that just to give them a title, I don't think is, we'll, we'll see. If we do it, we do it. But for the most part, I think a title will only just hamper. 
It is, we have enough people that are just serving so wonderfully here. So what it reveals is she being called a servant or a deaconess of the church reveals the fact that women occupied a very prominent place within the early church. Paul commends her to the church in Rome as she takes the letter in three very distinctive ways. He calls her, first one, a sister in Christ. He calls her also a servant of the Lord. And he calls her, thirdly, a helper of many, including, he says, himself. Referring to Phoebe as our sister in the Lord meant that she was a devoted member of the family of God as far as Paul was concerned. And the context makes it clear that she is especially dear to Paul because the task that he gave to her made it even more clear that she was extremely important to him and to the church. Here's why. She had to go from Corinth to Rome. To go from Corinth to Rome meant that she had to go over land as well as sea. In those days, that was very, very dangerous. The few inns that there were that she would stay overnight were usually connected to the worst sort of taverns. Uh, many of them were actually brothels. For her to go over sea on a boat, that meant she went with sailors who were not necessarily in those days the safest of crews either. Therefore, Paul says concerning Phoebe, who took this very hazardous journey, receive her, verse 2, receive her in the Lord, he says to those in Rome. Receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, he says. Receive her that you may help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. In other words, roll out the carpet. The word manner in the Greek is P-R-A-G-M-A. It refers to helping someone in anything that they may have need of. She, he says, was a helper of many. She had helped so many in many, many ways, myself included, Paul says. And so I wrote to myself a note here. Do I think Paul loved Phoebe? Oh, you bet your life I do. I think he loved her beyond measure. And what grabbed me this week while I was studying this place in Scripture was a woman who has faithfully served our church all the years that I've been here. And a lot without fanfare. So much so that I was driven to tears thinking about how much she has meant to this church. Her name is Jenny Johnston. I don't know if you know her or not. If you don't, it's a shame. She is the most amazing woman of God I think I've ever had the privilege of knowing. There's not a task that she doesn't take upon herself. Uh, for whatever it is worth, without her, I don't know what I'd be. There's times where she'll email me or text me, have you... Have you gotten to this yet or have you done that yet she knows that it's all fallen through the cracks she knows that I can't keep track of anything and very gently and very very wonderfully she just drops me a note have you thought about doing that yet and I write her back and say I forgot thanks and she does all of this without fanfare she's going to be going I believe tomorrow with our 180 group is that right Kay is it tomorrow with our 180 group she's going to be going 
discipling some young girls there. No fanfare, no big hoopla, just Jenny Johnson being Jenny Johnson. So if you ever get it, no, as a matter of fact, don't do this. I was going to say, if you ever get a chance, tell her thanks. Don't, because it'll just embarrass her beyond your wildest dreams. It, she'll have days of just, no, don't do it. She'll, 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 just, just thank God for her in your prayers. Do I know how Paul loved Phoebe? You bet I do. Because I know how much I love Jenny Johnson. The word helper there that, that Paul gives to her is in the Greek P-R-O-S-T-A-T-I-S. It, it was commonly used of someone who helped support a cause to the nth degree, making it happen. In other words, Phoebe was no ordinary helper. She was one of high esteem and integrity. Now, like I said, she was more than likely a very wealthy business person. That enabled her to travel from Corinth to Rome and to stay in probably places where she had traveled before, knowing that it was safe, getting from one place to the other in a very safe fashion. It enabled her to use her influence, her, her financial means to get from Corinth to Rome safely. Now listen to this. Although God inspired no woman to write Scripture, He did use Phoebe to transport the first copy of what is the very bedrock of the New Testament theology to us through the book of Romans. And listen more. Phoebe is symbolic of all of those countless women whom God has used and honor with great distinction and within the framework of his divine plan. Dr. J. Vernon McGee writes this. You know, when it comes to talking about women in a church, there are two different camps. There's one camp that says a woman has no place in any leadership. I understand that that is a certain camp of, of theology belief. There is another camp that believes that women have a rightful place to, to serve within the church in, in, in almost every capacity. Dr. J. Vernon McGee says it, I think, the best. Let me read it to you. He says, It is my feeling that we would not be seeing women occupying the position of pastors in a church, which is forbidden by Scripture. True, it is. It is forbidden by Scripture that a woman should not lead a, a, a church. That's not my thoughts. That's what the Bible says. Dr. McGee says, they wouldn't occupy these positions if they had been given their rightful position and authority within the church in the first place. He says, I think that they should sit on any other board of the church. Dr. McGee goes on to say, the church needs the insights and the sensibilities of women to help lead the church. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I, I trust in the very sensibilities of the women of a church to give us a, an insight that, that some of us men don't really see. And so, as Paul uses Phoebe and Priscilla, by the way, he wants to use the women today. I believe the, the Lord wants to use all of us in our area of giftedness. So, Paul had not yet visited Rome, but still he names all of these people in chapter 16, about 35 of them who furthered the cause of Christ whom he served alongside of and with him. 
And interestingly, he again mentions a woman in verses 3, 4, and 5. Her name is Priscilla, or Prisca, and her husband's name is Aquila. Both of them, we are told in verse 4, risked their necks, risked their lives for Paul. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. They, like Paul, were Jews. They, like Paul, traveled to Corinth to make a living selling tents. And obviously, they met up with Paul, partnered with him in business, and Paul, obviously, no, we know, in Acts chapter 18, led the two of them to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Therefore, it is said in verse 5 of here in Romans 16, that they set up a church in their home. In Acts, they are called Aquila, the man, and Priscilla, the woman. But here in Romans, Paul reverses that order. He names Priscilla first, and then Aquila. Why? We don't know. We can only guess. But more than likely, it is that the woman was the dominant person as far as the spiritual matters were concerned, as far as Paul was concerned. She was the spiritual leader. But, like the women of our church, she didn't want to lord that place. She understood what she should be, as you're going to see in a moment. Guys, you shouldn't be ashamed if your wife knows more than you about the Bible. Shouldn't allow, I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't want to be content to just stay where you don't know the Word of God. But it shouldn't be intimidating that she might know more than you. Heck, when I came to Christ, I didn't know the book of Genesis or the book of Revelation. My wife had been a, a Christian since she was a little girl. She knows, she still does, knows more about the Bible than I do. So we, we got married. We, we, we went to Dr. Jack MacArthur. One of the greatest blessings in my life was goes, went to Dr. Jack MacArthur's church in Eugene, Oregon. Learned under his teaching. What a great man of God. And so Kay and I started going to a, a school of theology. We, we were studying the Bible. And she was always doing better than me. And one time I did better than her. I got a better grade than her. I was so happy I got a better grade than her. I, you know, to this day, I think about it. I bet that professor was feeling sorry for me as the husband. <laughs> Always getting a bad, worse grade. And he maybe bumped me up a little bit. But I, I'm not intimidated by the fact that my wife knows the Scriptures. But I want to learn too. Men, it, it behooves us to want to be a man of God that understands Scriptures. But I don't believe that it is like a, such a terrible thing here that, that Paul calls Priscilla out before he does Aquila in this case. But make no mistake about it. No mistake about Aquila and Priscilla. Both of them were excellent workers for our Lord. Both of them risked their lives for the sake of Paul and for the church as well, as it says in verse 4, for all the Gentile churches. As Jews, these two people ministered vigorously for Jesus Christ among the Gentiles and all without any prejudice. They just wanted to serve the Lord. We don't know what Paul is referring to when he says that Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, risked their necks for him. Don't know what that means. But whatever it was they did, it provoked a profound gratitude in the life of Paul and also for the churches as well. 
probably more than once, they put their own lives in jeopardy to protect Paul and the church. I want to speak uh, kind of foolishly a little bit here, just for a moment. I want to talk about a human perspective. Now, I know, as you know, that God causes all things to work together for good. God is the one who is in control. I understand that. I know that He moves. I know that God will not let me draw another breath more than what He wants. I understand that God is in complete control. But if you look at this about Priscilla and Aquila, it seems, humanly speaking, they probably prevented Paul's life and ministry from being cut short before Paul had fulfilled his role in God's plan. Now, I know God was in control, but I believe God used these two dear people to further the cause of Christ through the life of Paul. And Paul was indebted to them. They obviously rendered selfless, heroic service and many other Christians as well because Paul goes on to make this remarkable statement about them in verse 4. Not only, he says, do I give thanks to them, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. In verse 5, we see that they set up a church in their home. Aquila and Priscilla gives us a clue as to their social and economic status. They were tent makers, obviously. That's what they did for a living. They were more than likely, if not wealthy, they were well-to-do. That enabled them to have a larger home and gave them the use of their home as a place of worship for the early church. In reality, the church was never intended to be spoken of as a building or a structure. As much as I love this building, as much as I love that we have church here, this church is not the church. It's just a structure. The church is you. It's you. It's me. It's us. It's the body of Christ. We are the ones that make up the building. We are the ones that makes up the body. In the first three centuries, the church was always people, and they met wherever they could under whatever circumstances they could. Later in Aquila and Priscilla's life, they moved from Corinth to Ephesus. It's a very interesting, a very interesting move in their lives. While they were there, they met, along with Paul, a, a wonderful preacher by the name of Apollos. Apollos, we are told in the book of, of Acts, the 18th chapter, was an eloquent speaker. He was a, he was a speaker's speaker. He, he, he could draw crowds. And he was mighty, it says, in scriptures, except for one thing. It says in Acts chapter 18, as far as Aquila and Priscilla are concerned with Apollos, he was a Jew, they say. He was an Alexandrian by birth. Acts 18, verse 24, tells us he was an eloquent man and came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted, though, only with the baptism of John. And so he didn't have the full picture of what had taken place in the life of Christ. He began to speak and 
And, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, Bible says they took him aside. They did not correct him in front of all the people. They very gently, the Bible seems to imply, took Apollos aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately, in private, helping him to understand more. You see, the two of them understood authority. They understood that you didn't correct someone like that in front of everybody. Rather, draw him aside. Teach him the ways of the Lord more accurately in private. I love them for that. A noted commentator by the name of William Hendrickson makes this following observation concerning Paul. I want to close with this. We're quite early. I want to close with this thought. During his missionary career, Paul had many colleagues. Paul had many fellow workers. But he also had those that opposed him. I understand this very well. This particular place means much to me. In Galatians chapter 2, we learn that Paul opposed Peter, and Peter opposed Paul. They had a, a disagreement with one another, quite sternly, as a matter of fact. In Acts chapter 15, verses 38 and 39, there was a time when Paul went on a missionary journey with a, a young man by the name of John Mark. He refused to take John Mark on his second journey. Barnabas disagreed with that entirely. Barnabas had a very sharp disagreement with Paul. And he, Barnabas, Barnabas, took John Mark and took him on a separate journey away from Paul. And Barnabas and Paul decided to part company in Acts chapter 15. In Philippians chapter 4, two men, Yodia and Synthesi, they reprimanded Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, a man by the name of Demas decided, decided to desert Paul, not, not minister with him anymore. William Hendrickson tells all of this to make point. He says, of all the people that he saw and studied with the life of Paul, not all of them stood with him except for two people. He said he couldn't find that these two people left Paul. It was Priscilla and Aquila. He said Priscilla and Aquila stood closer to Paul than anyone else ever in his ministry. They were his companions both in business and in faith throughout his lifetime. As far as the records show, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were always in perfect harmony. More than anything else for this church, that's what I pray for. I pray for harmony within the body of Christ. I pray that we have a, a sense of unity within our midst. You know, I, I speak about this a lot because I think it's critical and, and so important within the family of God to have this harmony. I want you to know something about this church. I'm not getting any younger, but I'm hoping to go as long as the Lord God will allow me. But... In the background with us, we have three men that carved the path of this church so clearly and with so much passion and so much uh, humility. I can't even begin to tell you how much I love 
these three men. One of them was the gentleman that played his guitar up here today with his mother, Brian Thompson. He brings so much to the table about our church, so much that, 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 see, that we can see things clearly when he speaks. The second person that, that I would mention in this is David Briggs. We have decided to make Dave a pastor of this church. David has more gifts than, than I can even begin to mention to you. But most of all, he is a shepherd of people. He absolutely loves people. We're in great hands with Brian and with David. These two men are really, they see this church. They see where we're going. Thirdly, is perhaps one of the most gifted men I've ever known in my life. And I have known some very gifted men. And that's Rob Selleck. Rob Selleck is the closest thing I've ever seen to Chuck Smith in my life. It seems like everything, Dave and I were talking about it, at the first, after the first service. It seems like everything that Rob puts his hands on seems to succeed. He just has a way about himself. He, he succeeded in his business life and, and he succeeds in the things that he, he does here at our church. I mention this to you folks for this reason alone. I have never been in a place where there's been more harmony for this period of time than this church. And I, I credit that to those three men. They have been phenomenal in carving a path of where we're going as a church. You can feel very, very comfortable about it. And for whatever it's worth, they love me. <laughs> they do. It's just silly. Uh, they, they, anytime we talk about what, what are we planning, where are we going, what's, what's in the future, they say, well, you're fine, you're fine. Keep preaching, keep preaching. And... Uh, and I thank God for that for them. I make this vow to you. I will keep preaching until you tell me to stop. And then I'll stop. And I'll ride off into the sunset with the most beautiful woman I've ever known. That's my wife. I'll be able to just enjoy that. But in the meantime, I want to stay. I love serving the Lord here with you. I get what Paul says when he loves those people, those ordinary Christians so much. It's what I feel of you, Billy. It's what I feel of you, Bill. Just getting to know you better. So many of you. I shouldn't have started naming names. That's the bad thing. Mickey. John behind Mick. John behind John. Behind Mick. So many of you. Jack. So many of you. Let's let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Lord, we get to look at ordinary people that Paul just loved. I can understand why he loved Phoebe so much. Father, she took a tremendous responsibility and followed through with it completely. No problems that we know of, of her getting that letter from Corinth to Rome, which was no small task. It reminds me so much of Jenny Johnson. And then, Father, for Quilla and Priscilla, too, a couple that just loved Paul so much, risked their lives for him. I understand that too, Father, that people of this church just really love it. So Lord, help us to, to honor you, that we would be a church that, Father, just 
gets along and loves everyone so much that we would, as we proclaim, Father, we would love you and we would love people so much. Now, Father, bless us as we go from here. Take care of all the dads. Hope they enjoy their day. So special, Father. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Love you all more than you'll ever know. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. I'll see you next week.